While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, he said to them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he ate it in front of them. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look, I'm sending to you what my father promised, but you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with heavenly power. This is the word of the Lord. What a glorious day to worship the Lord, and and we're so glad you're with us this morning, especially if you're uh, visiting with us. Perhaps, uh, Perhaps you grew up in the church here, and have moved away and you're back with family or or perhaps you're from the community here and you've been saying to yourself someday I'm going to pop into that uh, church across from Seattle Pacific University and just check those guys out well if that's the case we're really really glad you're here also I'm Art Brown and for a few months I'm serving as interim a pastor here at First Free Methodist Church really just an absolutely great privilege to do this. If you are new with us, um, you might like just a few reflections. Uh, You know, I'm a newbie, so I have some thoughts about the church here. Let me tell you, and and maybe especially if uh, you grew up here and have been gone for a while, things may look different here uh, simply because time goes on and we've just been through a horrible pandemic, which we know is not totally gone, but this church is really strong in Jesus. Um, During this time, the staff has really stepped up. Um, We know we're going through a pastoral transition that has its own challenges, but we're very thankful that our our loved pastor, Matt Poole, is now in working in the conference office, so it's not like he's totally disconnected and no longer available. We're also very thankful that a new pastor has been announced the first of July. Pastor Craig Brown will be here and and although we don't know him yet we're really looking forward to getting to to meet him and uh, look forward to the way God is going to bless the church as a result of his ministry here. So if you're new especially from the community check us out stop by at the welcome desk in the entry area do take that gift with you you don't want to miss that and if you will leave us your name just so we can begin to get you some information from time to time this morning 
we're going back into the New Testament again. Those of you who have been here many Sunday mornings know that during the last few weeks, each week we've been taking one of the accounts of Jesus from the New Testament where we are told that Christ in a visit with someone, perhaps somebody that was ill and need to be healed, but others also, he actually touched the person, reached out and touched him with his hand. And um, although we know there no doubt are many other places, many other times when Christ touched people, in particular during these, these events, we're trying to say to ourselves, what's really going on here? Why would this word touch or to put your hands on somebody be so important? Now this morning, this passage from Luke chapter 24 that Brian read for us is a bit different. It's not a passage, you noticed, perhaps, where Jesus touched someone, but rather it's at one of those times where Jesus invites someone to touch him. Touch my body, Jesus said. Let, let's get into that story and ask the question, why would that be even an important thing to notice? As I was thinking about this passage of scripture, I thought to myself, I wish that you could, you could meet my friend Mitch. I met Mitch for the first time in the first church that I pastored after seminary. He was a high school student, and for some reason, Sylvia and I had to be away from the church for several weeks just after we got there. Uh, I'll always be somewhat disappointed we, because of the rest of the story I'm going to tell you, but it was a good reason why we were gone. While we were gone, one afternoon, Mitch, who was really too much into the drug scene at that time as a high school student, I think the story, he was on the school bus going home. And all of a sudden, he got this terrifying vision. It was like a vision of hell itself. Mitch grew up in a home where his father did not know Jesus, really was addicted to his own kind of drugs. His mom loved Jesus and was very much part of the church, and Mitch was sort of in the middle. But something happened in that moment in the bus where Mitch realized he had to get to somebody that he could talk to about his eternal destiny. Well, he soon realized that the pastor of the Free Methodist Church, me, was nowhere to be found that day, but he was desperate enough that he started looking for the next closest pastor, knocking on the door, as I remember, of the pastor of the Baptist church in that little town, and saying, I need to know more about Jesus. And in the moments that followed, found Jesus as his personal Savior and Lord. Now, part of the reason I am so fascinated by Mitch's story. It's not just that he has been a close friend ever since, but also is that my own experience with Jesus was almost like totally different. So I, I would not suggest that the, the technique that was used to draw me to Jesus be used anywhere else. We don't do that here in our church, but here's how it happened for me. We were having, in the little church I was a part of, I guess you would call it a Sunday school revival or special evangelistic meetings. And as I remember, 
we were sitting as Sunday school classes, and I was there with my teacher. And at the end of the presentation, the person who was speaking invited those who would like to invite Jesus into their lives to come and kneel at the little prayer rail or communion rail that was at the front of the church. And my teacher, perhaps knowing that we all needed to do it, then got the word down the aisle that all of us together we're going to go forward. Like I say, we don't suggest this as an evangelistic technique. We, you know, everyone should choose for themselves. Even a child, I probably was about seven or six or seven years old, I'm not sure. But here's what happened. I still to this day remember kneeling in that place and sincerely saying to Jesus, I want you in my life for the first time, such that sometime thereafter, when my mom asked me about it, I said, yes, I invited Jesus into my life, kneeling at that altar rail with all of the other kids from my Sunday school class. Jesus so much wants to be part of our lives that he will tailor a moment for us that fits us perfectly. That's true in terms of the first time we come to know him. We, we, we call it conversion, or sometimes saying yes to Jesus, rece receiving him as our Savior and Lord. It's true in that moment, but I also have found that life being what it is, often we come up against events and situations in our own lives where we need to know Jesus in a new way. It's not like he's moved, but it's like maybe our life has been filled with so much stuff that it's just overwhelming that we don't know what to do with it. Well, that's where this story from Luke chapter 24 is so very helpful to us. What does God do in order to move into move gently into our lives at times when things have totally fallen apart. Maybe you remember the context of this reading. This is the evening of when Jesus came back from the dead, when he rose from the dead. Now, this is not the first time. That's part of what makes this passage so interesting and surprising. This is not the first time that Jesus has shown himself alive. Remember, some of you, Mary in the garden met Jesus. Remember, there were two individuals walking from Emmaus to Jerusalem, and Jesus walked with them probably for several miles before they recognized him, and he revealed himself to them. So this is not the first time, but when Jesus comes into the room where they were, locked because of the fear of the Jews. They thought the same thing that happened to Jesus might happen to them. When he came into the room, they were totally disoriented. They didn't have any idea what's going on. Some of you may remember several weeks ago I suggested that if you feel comfortable underlying or circling a word in your Bible, I have several words today, again, that I'd suggest you do that. Now, don't feel like you need to. I think I told you at the time that early on I had some hesitation to do that as if it wouldn't be honoring the word in the same way. I know now that's not true. We actually honor the word by getting engaged with it, and if that means circling or underlining, God certainly is all for that. Uh, I may have told you I don't think 
that now that I can highlight in my phone, it's a whole lot easier to do that with the Bible. But four words this morning, because they show the movement of God into the lives of these disciples under the most difficult circumstances. And there is a kind of movement that's nearly predictable as far as how God will enter our lives when we need him so much. And what he's asking us to do, what he's trying to prepare us to do, is that we'll reach out and touch him. You see, there's a part that we do. He will do all the heavy lifting, but he will not come into our lives unless we want him to. And that's true initially when we receive him as our Savior and Lord, and that is true at any point in life. He so respects us as human beings, and our, our, the, the fact that our will is a treasure, and we must make decisions for ourselves. Here are the first words, the four words. The first is in the very first word, the very first verse that was read for us. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. The first thing we note here is that Jesus came to where they were. Um, God does not wait for us to come to him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that many people on our word totally do not understand. You see, he is truly the hound of heaven, but not to hurt us, but to heal us. And so he will reach out to us, and all of a sudden, he'll be right there with us, right near us. And Mitch realized it, and it was terror for him. But he, of course, worked through that because he knew enough to find somebody who could help him find forgiveness in Jesus. I knew it when I knelt at an altar rail and all of a sudden something was going on there other than just being compliant. I actually am quite interested that I was that compliant at the time. I would not have expected that of myself. But here again, in this instant, it's God that comes to them. Um, this same concept of God standing with somebody or near somebody apparently became very important to the Apostle Paul. It's fascinating to me because on at least three occasions he talks about God standing with him. Now it's not always the person of Jesus. One time it was. He writes to Timothy and says, when I was on trial, the Lord himself stood with me. And I think maybe that's when he needed the worst. But there were two other occasions, and once it was through a human being. Some of you remember Saul, who then became Paul, his conversion experience that's recorded in the book of Acts in the Bible. And how on the road to Damascus, he had such a powerful encounter with Jesus that he went away blind. God then sent a faithful follower of Jesus, Ananias by name, who Saul, or Paul says, Ananias stood by him and then touched him and the, he had his sight again. And Paul understood that this was the Holy Spirit working in his life. So sometimes when God stands next to us, it is, it's just that undeniable presence of something that's holy and other and divine. Sometimes it's through another human being. It's one of the things that really makes me enjoy most the kingdom and the church. Because over and over again, not that everything is smooth, but somebody stands by me who loves Jesus, and I'm stronger because of it. Now the third time, 
really fascinating. It was an angel that stood by Saul. So Paul, now Paul, follower of Jesus, on a ship, in the middle of a terrible storm, and he says, an angel of the Lord stood by me and spoke to me. Paul came to realize that God is the great initiator. He is the great lover of our souls, and he will move into our lives if we'll let him. So the first thing we know, it's the first word we might circle or underline is the word stood. The second word is in that same sentence. He stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So when God comes, he just doesn't stand around wondering you know, what we're going to do next. Some people think God of the universe just is up there keeping score of the bad things we do. Well, the reality, God of the universe is the God of great compassion who looks down on us and when he sees us destroying ourselves in his own way weeps because he loves us so much. But when he comes, he actually speaks. And over and over again in the Bible, we see when when an angel or God himself comes into somebody's life, they are terrified because of the power that's present. I mean, that's understandable. And the first words or word that, they, that God says to us is peace. Peace, why are you afraid? I thought to myself, I wonder if Jesus smiled when he says this, peace be with you. Or later he says, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? You know, he's almost saying, like you, I, I walked with you for years. You know me. I may look a little different because of a risen body, but what's going on in your head that you can't pay attention to what's going on? Well, I thought to myself about that too. How often in life I've been about as observant as somebody who had their eyes closed, their ears plugged, and didn't have any idea what was going on because you just don't see what's in front of you. And so he speaks, and always his word to us is peace. Now that word that's translated there, peace, is really a powerful word that is, means so much more than the fact there's a relative you're really glad is not coming to Easter dinner with you, you know? Or somebody that you're really glad has gone and got a job somewhere else. You know, just the vibes are terrible. It means so much more than the fact there's not a war going on in your family. What this word means, and many of you know this, but it's so beautiful, I want to emphasize it. What that word means is total well-being. Peace in the deepest part of who we are. Yes, we still will have doubts and we are afraid sometimes, but in the middle of all that, we have this deep sense of God being in our lives. So the second word we notice is God always speaks to us. He said, peace be still. Now the third word you might underline or circle is down in verse 40. He's already said to them, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and, flesh and bones as you see I have. So he's already try, he's trying to disabuse them of the idea that he might be a ghost, that he really didn't rise again from the dead. 
you know, I can imagine, I, I think you can too, what would have gone on in the lives of those disciples during this day? They heard this rumor, some women that maybe got hysterical and thought they saw Jesus alive. Or maybe they thought two men thought they were with Jesus, but they got a lot of hallucinations when there's the stuff going on in life that are going on now. Maybe Jesus is here as a ghost and what God wants to say to them, Jesus wants to say to them, I am real, I am he. He says, I want to show you evidence of the fact you don't have to doubt. And I found that's another predictable part of God working in our lives. Um, you know, it's never absolute proof. If it were absolute proof, then where, where would faith fit in? You know, there comes a point when you've got to trust Jesus enough to reach out and touch. And there's no absolute proof, but there is definite evidence. In this case, Jesus did say to him, you know, here I am. I'm flesh and blood. I mean, he had a glorified body, but still. It's quite fascinating to me, actually. You know, he could get in that room without opening a door. Yet, in order to prove that he was alive and had been resurrected from the dead, he asked for something to eat. They gave him a piece of fish. Did you notice that? Isn't that really interesting? In fact, sometimes people have asked me, how about heaven? You know, what's heaven going to be like? And I say, well, there's a lot I don't know, but as I do know there's going to be everything there that we could possibly miss here, including a good steak, if that's really what you want. You know, like, why would we think we can't eat in, with our glorified bodies if Jesus could have a piece of fish? Now, I'm not predicting how it's all going to be because it's going to be much better than I could imagine. But let me tell you, what God wanted to do in this situation was help his disciples understand he had arisen from the dead. All of the Christian faith depends upon the fact that Christ came back from the dead. He was not resuscitated, you know, dead for a few minutes and then just came back to life again. He was dead for a couple of days. He was not a ghost. He was an actual human being who now had been glorified. And because of that reality, no trouble of this life can be overwhelming. And because of that reality, we know if we trust him, we will be with him forever. There's a resurrection for us too. Death is not the end for any of us either. So he gives us enough evidence, but it's never absolute proof. I thought about this in terms of myself. What's the evidence? that makes me confident that Jesus is alive for me. Well, I've talked to, told you some of you about my parents and their faith. They discovered somehow how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Somehow God did that in their life. And as I shared with some of you, if you knew Ed and Mary Brown and knew their faith, it would be hard not to follow Jesus. You would have to say, there's something wrong with, with me. I'm insane not to follow Jesus. So part of it is my parents. Part of it is the fact that Sylvia and I have walked with Jesus for a few years. And over and over again, 
when we felt that he is leading us in a certain direction, as we have sought his will and shared together and prayed about it and finally made a decision, one of two things has happened. Either we have been confirmed that we knew where we are going, or God has stepped in and sort of sent us another way so we didn't terribly stumble or hurt somebody in the process. You know, you walk with Jesus for a while and there's a kind of assurance that comes. And of course, there is that inner light that those of us who know Jesus, at least in our better moments, there's a peace you know, when things really go crazy in the world, we may not feel like for a while, but there's this peace, this inner assurance that makes us convinced it's worth risking our life on this. And that's what you do when you follow Jesus. So we've got the, three, the four words. He stood, he said, he showed them, and then this final word is really fascinating in verse 45 then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Something happened in that moment whereby they begin to put all this together. Not perfectly. The Holy Spirit had not been given yet. That's why they were told to wait until the Spirit came. But they began to come to grips with the reality of what was going on. Just enough for that point in their life. And again, that happened to my friend Mitch on the school bus. He realized he needed to get to a pastor or somebody else who could help him understand how Jesus could change his life. That happened to me in first or second grade, how, whatever it was, when I knelt and in spite of the fact I was there really for the wrong reason, he spoke to my heart and life, and he gave me a conviction that I was his and he was in my life. He wants to do that for everyone, every one of the human beings on planet Earth. And if you are here this morning and you have not yet experienced his forgiveness, he wants to do that for you. Or if you're going through an unusually difficult time where if you were honest, you would say, it's so hard not to doubt. He wants to do that for you, even this morning. Um, you know, Sylvia and I had the privilege of about 10 or 11 years traveling all over the world with Free Methodist World Missions and meeting some of the most fantastic people you'll ever meet. Experiences, some experiences, some things that have forever changed us. And if I could take you anywhere this morning, I'd love to take you to um, San Juan, Puerto Rico. I mean, you'd love the beach, but that's not the reason we're going there. I'd like to take you into one of the, the, uh, the poor barrios of San Juan, Barrio Obreo. And I'd like to take you to the Barrio Obreo Free Methodist Church. And I'd like to introduce you to Pastor Mercedes Renoso. She is one of the most powerful people of God I've ever met. She, she came with some other Dominican immigrants to Puerto Rico. And they have established a church that now is many times the size of ours that meets in a remodeled car uh, a, a place where cars are, are fixed. Um, 
and, and has, you know, on a Sunday afternoon when they worship, they might have five or 600 people, something like that. And some of you know that Latinos, they do not like a somber service necessarily. Some do, but most would like something with a little bit more beat to it. Um, and so, you know, the flags would wave as we'd worship with them. The dancers would dance. The people that were on the rhythm instruments would be leading the way. And worship would take place such that if you hadn't met some of these people leading worship the day before and heard their stories of salvation, you would think this was all a show because it's just so powerful. The day I'd take you there, I had the privilege of preaching to this congregation. It was a glorious moment for me, such a great privilege. And then after I finished preaching, Pastor Mercedes came to the front and, and gave what sometimes you call the call. So she invited people from the congregation in whom God was working in their lives to come to the front and to kneel and to let God work in their life. And this is a congregation where there's a lot of emotion. We're not surprised if somebody's slain in the spirit. You know, God works in all kinds of different churches. It's not unusual for that to happen. And I'm standing there, we're singing, listening to Pastor Mercedes speak and feeling people moving around us and just worshiping the Lord for the goodness of what's happening. As I'm standing there, facing this way, I realize that somebody has just moved past me down the center aisle, uh, uh, weeping almost uncontrollably and coming and falling on his knees here at the front. And, you know, the first thought I have was somebody's son has come back to Jesus. Maybe somebody that was brought up in this church has found Jesus or somebody's brother today has come to Jesus. Um, and it was a beautiful moment, but only afterwards did I hear this, the, the rest of the story, the backstory, so to speak. So here, this is Carlos. And Carlos and his girlfriend and their baby have been cruising around the barrio on this Sunday afternoon. A load of drugs in the back. He's part of the, the drug business there in San Juan. And he notices a police car that might be following. He turns right, the police car turns right. He turns left, police car turns left. And he says to himself, where could I go that the police will not follow me and open up my trunk and find these drugs? And he thinks of his sister's church, the Barrio Obreo Free Methodist Church. So Carlos was in one of the back rows that Sunday afternoon for all the wrong reasons. But you know, the reason we're near Jesus makes no difference to him. What really makes a difference to him is our need and our willingness to reach out, to touch him. And that afternoon, Carlos reached out and touched Jesus. It was such an event for me that you know how you have doubts afterwards? You say, well, yes, it looked like they came to Jesus, but probably they fell away. And he really did have a problem, because how is he going to extricate himself from the drug business there in San Juan? You die first, usually. Well, fortunately, Pastor Mercedes has ministered in that community so powerfully so long that even the drug lords respect her 
and take her word for something that this man is not a danger to them and they better let him go. Weeks later, I was at another meeting with Pastor uh, Reynoso and I said to her, kind of wondering what was happening with Carlos. How's Carlos doing? And she said, you know, Carlos is just following Jesus. His life is totally changed. That's exactly what happens when we reach out and touch Jesus.